Hello, this is Fintech Fika with me, Tim Tyler, and my usual co-host, Christopher Papathanasi. On this episode, Chris and I talk about wearables and the Internet of Things and their potential within financial services. Can we really take advantage of them, or will it be a case of the Emperor's new clothes? Fintech Fika is recorded live every Wednesday on LinkedIn, so find us there to join the conversation or search for the hashtag Fintech Fika. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fika. Joining me today as ever is Mr. Tim Tyler. How are you doing? Hi Chris, I'm very well, thank you. It's uh, nice to see that you're in an office for a change rather than, uh, well, <laughs> let's not go to what you're normally uh, doing. It's yeah. yeah, very good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dressed for the occasion. <laughs> um, so look, last week you posted on LinkedIn um, about the acquisition of Fitbit by Google. Um, mm. You suggested that wearables might make a good topic for another um, FICA episode, and so here we are uh, today, the topic being wearables to IoT, Emperor's new clothes, question mark. <laughs> um, so, so wearables, um, when, I, when I think about wearables, um, what immediately springs to mind is, is the Apple Watch or, of course, the, the Fitbit. Um, it also reminds me of a story that my brother once told me about his car insurance, um, the company who put a tracking device in his car. Um, they did that in return for a lower lower premium. Um, now, um, he was quite chuffed about that at the time, but the story didn't really end well for him because it turns out he's quite a reckless driver. And so his insurance company put the, the premium up. Um, now, what that means is that for him, it didn't end well, but for the insurance company, it did because they were better able to manage their risk by using this type of device. We call it the wearable for the car. Um, and at the heart of it, what they're looking to do is collect data, more data points than they traditionally would have been able to do through you know, the method of, of that we're all very used to, right? Filling out a form and answering a bunch of questions about how you drive and how many miles and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, very interesting concept. Um, Clearly, the wearable technology proving to be a success in many different industries. You could talk about sports as well. Um, so today, let's explore whether or not this type of technology offers the same opportunity um, for success in banking. So what do you think? Uh, well, I, I like the analogy, actually, that, um, you know, in the insurance or the car insurance industry, the... Uh, the tracker that you, you the, the black box, as they call it, the black box that insurance is the wearable for a car. I think that's a, a really good comparison. But I, I want to bring you back a moment first, though, because I also posted this morning, um, you know, a company that is developing wearables, de developing Internet of Things led technologies for consumption, perhaps in the financial services space. Oh. What fruit would you name that company after? And you mentioned, you referenced pomegranates, and uh, I, I got lost at the mention of pomegranate. I, you know, when I look at the history of fruit in technology, which is perhaps a bit of a tangent to what today's session is about, for me, it started off in the early days with apricot, and you, you've got to be my generation to remember the company called Apricot, all the right. way up to those who peaked and died off again, like Blackberry, to the apples and the raspberries of today. Um, pomegranate, though, I don't get pomegranate. Well, you, you've 
you've you've got to have a strange name. I think that's that's a, that's the first thing about it is it's got to be it's got to be interesting. It's got to, it's got to get people saying I don't really get that like you're doing right now because it means that they're thinking about it. But there was a bit more of a method. Uh, there was a bit of a thought process in there, and it goes back to just thinking about like what the purpose of a wearable is, right? Um, and it's about you know collecting more and more and more and more and more data points. And um, you know what that got me thinking was okay, the pomegranate, right? It's made up of lots of little clusters of seeds. Um, and then I just thought, well, you know, as a logo, you know, all of those tiny little clusters of different seeds could represent all the various different bits of data. Right, that the wearable is using or leveraging, you know, to, to make its informed decisions. So uh, <laughs> referencing data there is, is a good one, I think. I mean, we've talked about data and data analytics yeah. before. So maybe we'll come back to that during this discussion. But a, a, a wearable, and if we stick with wearable and then perhaps move to Internet of Things in a moment, um, Tim, before you before you go into that, can I just also ask because I know I'm going to forget, and I'm sure that that people tuning in want to know. Uh, and for people who don't know, right, Tim is is generally the creative mind behind a lot of the names of, of our Fika episodes. Wearables to IoT, Emperor's New Clothes. Please explain. Okay, so well, <laughs> hopefully this isn't a generation gap thing. Um, Emperor's New Clothes is a story or a fable by I think it was Hans Christian Andersen and it's a story about an emperor who uh, is very proud wants to be there in the latest shiny thing and his subjects make a suit for him to go um, on parade if you will that actually didn't exist there was no fabric at all it was just uh, invisible and so they dressed the emperor up in his new invisible cloth and let him go out on parade. And instead of being there in his finery, he's actually there, unbeknownst to him, embarrassing himself, um, completely naked with no clothing on whatsoever. And the reason I align that to wearables and Internet of Things is, you know, and it, it comes back again to this, a chasm and, you know, getting mass adoption. When we talk about wearables, and wearables have been a thing for a while now, and we see the, the move from uh, simple watches, simple Fitbits, through to the more advanced uh, examples <coughs> like uh, uh, an Apple Watch and even the more advanced, you know, the Garmin's and the like of the world, um, mm -hmm. through to Google Glass, which is, okay, is died a death at the moment, but I think we'll see a resurgence of that. So wearables are a thing, but have they ever really got there? Have they, beyond fitness, and I think fitness and, you know, biometric measurement is a, a key tool for them, how, could they fit into the financial services space or are they just the emperor's new clothes? Are they the latest shiny, shiny, which actually everybody in reality sees through and there's not a lot of substance there behind them and, and that was my thinking i think i my view is certainly there's some use cases which would be the equivalent of the invisible cloth but i think there are definitely other use cases which can bring real advantage way beyond those retail um, or consumer banking 
instances that we might think of across into uh, SME and corporate banking, I think across the breadth, um, there's possibilities there. And when we start moving into Internet of Things and we're getting off wearables into just a more connected world, absolutely, there's things we can leverage. Now, you know, I wear a Fitbit. Um, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a, hopefully a post-pandemic drive to um, lose weight. So for me, I'm driven by the stats that my Fitbit is giving me. But it's also got um, Fitbit Pay, so it's NFC enabled. If I wanted to, I could uh, check out um, in a supermarket, etc., with it. I, I I don't, but I could. So what else could a wearable do in financial services beyond the payment? Now, you mentioned a car insurance. I think if we look at the wider financial services industry, and last week we talked about insurtech, I think insurance is a great leap over, um, you know, measuring biometrics in the same way as a black box for a car. You know, a Fitbit is a black box for the body almost, and your uh, health insurer, your your, your gym could charge you based upon um, usage and what your fitness is actually like and reveal the inner secrets, which enables them to raise the premiums. But is there really a use case for wearables beyond that? Or are we having to push across over to uh, more the Internet of Things space and that wider connected area where I think that bigger benefit might be coming in? Well, I think the question is, what is the equivalent of a wearable in, in banking or, or, you know, the equivalent of, of, a, of a device that basically gets you that level of detail um, that, that some of these wearables are able to, 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 to grab from the individual today? So, you know, like you say, your Fitbit, it allows you to, to monitor your steps. It gives you kind of, you know, it helps you to motivate you towards achieving your personal goals. It's reminding you that you need to do that. Um, and that's great for you. And then it's also great for, like you say, the health insurer who, who may want to go one step further, right, and monitor your vital signs um, and, you know, get a better understanding as to actually how you're living, right? You say you don't smoke, you know, can we track that you actually don't smoke, right? What does your, your heart rate look like and so on and so forth? And, you know, can they preempt, you know, a catastrophe um, and determine, you know, and factor that into kind of how they price you know, your, your premium. Because um, at the end of the day, in, in this scenario, it's about managing risk. Uh, the question is, you know, it's not whether, whether that would be useful, um, you know, for the banking industry, because I think most would agree that it, it would. The question is, what is the, the sort of equivalent of, of that for the industry? How do, you, how do you achieve that when, of course, looking at a corporation, there are so many other factors you know, that you need to consider from, from sort of microeconomic, macroeconomic to, you know, how, you know, the employees of the, the organisation and, and, and so on. Well, I, I think if we look at, and, and let's stick with Apple Watch, uh, Fitbit, but I'll stick with Fitbit because I've got one on my wrist at the moment, and look at the functions that it provides and are they mappable over to a, corporate use case and where in the corporate world could it be mapped over to so it, it tracks consumption of energy I, I calorie burn in my case um, it has gps so it's got location enabled 
within it. Now, location, I think, is perhaps a key one that could definitely be taken advantage of in an Internet of Things type approach. Because if we look at the supply chain and the financing of the supply chain, you know, often there's key points within a supply chain delivery within the whole logistics network that actually you're only going to get financed off the back of that on final delivery. Uh, you know, you can do uh, purchase order um, financing, you can do invoice financing. Um, but in terms of being able to draw down on that financing, I'm sure there'd be a use case there that perhaps could allow you to draw down a tranche of the financing when your supplies have reached um, outbound port, when they've safely and securely arrived at destination port, uh, once they're then on the back of a wagon. You know, well. We're currently in the midst of a, a boom of home delivery, and more often than not, you can go and see where is my delivery now, and you can see, oh, it's 15 stops away. It's here on a map. In a corporate context, being able to do that with you know, your shipment of widgets that are going into your own supply chain, it mm. could be crucial, not in terms of your own logistics, but in terms of the financing of that and mm. also the risk mitigation of that. Um, and if you're having financing off the back of that, feeding that risk awareness into the bank could, all, well, it could get you lower priced finance than if you didn't feed it in much the same as your brother with his car insurance who thought he was getting a good deal because in sharing his driving behavior he thought he was getting a lower premium you could get a lower premium on your financing from your bank perhaps if they have even greater visibility of your entire supply chain i mean i think i think this is something that um you know banks are looking at today right i think you know a lot of it is is done you know in a much more more manual fashion um and for, for me it's 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 really about how to get to 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 an even sort of lower level of detail so what is what is actually happening on the ground you know how often do those shipments make it to their destination how often you know um do they make it in you know in one piece um, what's actually happening on the ground that can help, you know, to form a, a, a much or help the bank form a much more informed view of, of what is what is actually happening as opposed to what's what's being said. Um, yeah, it reminds me of, of, of another story I heard about um, you know, a, a bank that um, that um, was trying to track collateral um, and, you know, the the. Um, the corporate that, that they were financing um, sold, they were sort of a manufacturer for, for, for fish, fish product. And um, the, there was uh, increase in, in oil, which led to the increase in the fuel uh, that they, you know, had to purchase for, for, the, for the boat. So the cost of, um, of actually producing the product went up. Uh, therefore, it impacted the cost of the product, which then influenced the demand of the product and went down, which impacted the collateral value. And, um, you know, before it was, and then what they found out was it was, you know, um, too late to do anything about it, and they had to call in the collateral. Um, and what that meant is, you know, fish, <laughs> right? What to do with the with the collateral now? Um, and I think, you know, 
what what banks are really interested in at the moment is how to sort of preempt um, things from a risk point of view. I think there are other 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 areas that this type of technology can help. But from a risk point of view, it's how do you preempt things? How do you understand the health of the customer that you are working with? You know, and, and be in a position where you can tell them that there may be an issue that's going to impact the demand for your product and the price of your product before they even know about it. And I think, you know, because the banking, you know, bank, banks are very unique in that they serve, you know, so many different businesses um, and they serve businesses that serve each other. And if you can collect those lower level, you know, details, right, across the board, you, you, can, you can do some powerful things, I think, with, with the data you get. Well, you know, that, that's almost going off at a, a very related tangent, I think, in terms of, um, you know, coming back to this data. And actually, it's almost the law of unintended, unintended consequence, isn't it? Mm. You, you might be able to rationally predict an impact on fish price if oil price goes up. But could you anticipate the impact because of a uh, documentary such as the Seaspiracy, uh, for example, and uh -huh. perhaps that'll, you know, so a documentary like that comes out drives demand down, at which impacts the price. The price has to go basic economics, supply and uh -huh. demand. The price drops. You're now collateralizing something which isn't worth what you thought it was worth. That's another discussion on its own, right? I think in terms of um, anticipating the market. And I think from a bank's perspective, how can you leverage your economies of scale in a way that can advantage your customers? And I think that's a classic example. You know, a bank is in a position perhaps to invest in the sort of technology that might do sentiment analysis, do market trends, understanding what's going out in the wider world across all of these different lines of industry and feed it into informed analysis that their uh, account managers, their relationship managers, RDs, can then talk to their customers about. But their customers themselves can't afford that technology themselves. So a, a value add. In terms of connectivity and Internet of Things, I think def, you know, wearables, payments in the consumer space, not so much of an impact on the commercial corporate space, but certainly internet of things i think certainly would do and even mm. in terms of you know uh, the freshness of supply for example in the, yeah. the fish example i'm not sure yeah. if they'd have been a manufacturer of fish or uh, what you would call that industry um but you know if you could trace from catch to distribution and actually another topic that we very lightly touched on that i think we'll come back to in future weeks is around provenance and Internet of Things could certainly help provenance. And that's mm. important for a bank and their consumers in understanding the source of what they're consuming, yeah. whether it's, a, you know, whether it's agricultural, whether it's uh, something else that's being produced and understanding all the component parts that go into it. It's also very important these days in financing with green mm. financing, etc. So mm. IoT absolutely can help provenance mm. we believe it can help risk and we've mentioned a number of areas there in terms of risk i think it can also complement 
other data sources. And I've mentioned before, and I'm tempted to try and get someone from John Deere on a future FICA when we look, you know, when you look at the agri-tech crossover from FinTech and yeah. look at the John Deere platform and what's able there. Where else do we think that sort of technology could mm. be leveraged? Or, or is it actually there's a few headline use cases and the rest mm. of it might be very much an emperor wearing his new clothes? Well, I'd be interested to, to hear if anybody listening at the moment or watching at the moment has a view. So if you do, um, share some comments because we'd be very keen to, to, to pick up on those and, and talk through it. I mean, you know, definitely, Tim, you talked about sentiment, right? Um, and the Internet of Things. I mean, we're seeing now, <laughs> and, and this is not a new case, um, that, uh, you know, even a tweet can affect the share price of, of an organization or, or, or the price of, of, of something. Um, and so these things really do need to be kind of factored in. But as you, you know, start to think about like the many different sources of information that's out there, I think banks are going to need to have to get very good at discerning what is, you know, fake news versus good news. And I'm sure that, you know, there, there, are, there are many ways to do that by, again, you know, maybe, maybe maybe looking at, you know, the various data sources and where it's coming from and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's that that plays a, a really important part, you know, of, of, of what banks need to be thinking about in the future as far as, you know, managing the health of, of their, their industries and their customers or, or monitoring it rather. Um, but then, you know, looking to other, other areas of, of where this might be able to help and, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but if, 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 would it be useful for an organization to, to actually monitor, um, you know, their employees in the same way? So taking some of these, you know, statistics that, that, that you and I talked about earlier, um, around how the individual, right, lives their life and behaves and, you know, could they use that data to determine, you know, how the average employee compares to the top performer when you're thinking about performance as far as, you know, just general daily habits, right? You know, is it, is, is it, does, does exercise play a factor? Does, you know, the, the resting heart rate play, you know, thinking out loud here, but is that, do you think that that would be useful? And then the second question is, do you think that's a, you know, a data point too far? <laughs> I'd, well, look, I'd, and this is one of the joys about FICA is we can just go wherever the conversation takes us. Oh. Look, certain companies already monitor employees, uh, particularly, you know, we've talked in the past about the acceleration of digitalization. We've got distributed workforces now, remote working, the, 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 20, the, the two day, three day work from home rule that seemingly more and more companies across the board are introducing. So yeah. financial services in particular, I think, other than where you physically got to have customer interaction. But they initially had concerns about how can we tell our staff are working and yeah. introduce, you know, on your work laptops, the ability to monitor whether it's mass movement, is your mass being moved at a regular time, etc. The ability perhaps to go further and say, okay, we want a lot closer monitoring. I, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people probably would say that is a data point too far. Mm. Could they argue it's from a health 
and safety perspective of our workforce, that we know what your heart rate's like, we know what your health's like. If we're paying and funding your health insurance, perhaps it's a key yeah, I mean, you yeah, you already have, um, you know, annual health checkups, right? Many, many employers, you know, um, mandate that you have an annual or at least offer right, those annual annual health checkups. So I guess the question is, you know, where do you draw the line? And, you know, OK, it's beneficial for the the for the company, but but it is, you know, when does it become, you know, too much? For the individual as in you know it's all, all for the benefit of the company and not necessarily for the benefit of, of the individual um but then i think we spend so much time at work right organizations you know may then have an opportunity to help influence and promote and motivate like the good health of its employees as well with some of this stuff well looking at the other aspects of wearables so coming full circle back to a wearable on a consumer, you know, being able to not have to carry a mobile device with you, but you mm. naturally have a wristwatch on, which is mm. a smart wristwatch that enables you to break away from your desk. So from a financial processing perspective and two eyes, four eyes, uh, you know, multi-approval mechanisms, you could truly be away, not working, your watch vibrates, you need to approve a transaction. Can you condense the information you require down onto a watch face screen to enable you to remotely process that transaction so it takes moments rather than having to come back to a laptop? I don't know. And would you be away from your mobile anyway? Yeah. That's the dichotomy, yeah. I guess. Mm. But, you know, who knows? I, just picking up, interestingly, somebody's, I think, Madhav has made a comment about Coming back to the uh, the previous point, supply chain with drones. Now, I know uh, there's trials of using uh, drones on the, the last mile delivery out to consumers. The idea of an Amazon drone coming in and uh, landing on you, in front of your door and dropping off a box with your latest bit of um, gadgetry or toot whichever it might be <laughs> in, an interesting proposition how you could have, i think they'd have to be very big drones to be that effective within the uh, the supply chain further mm. uphill and again maybe on a consumer space i can see that happening so uh, you know perhaps madav might like to post a, a little bit more about uh, what he means by using drones in the supply chain but mm. Certainly, I think the ability is there for companies to look at some of this new technology. Should they be willing to risk wearing the emperor's new clothes without mm. there being a certainty of it being real? Should they take that risk that they could try something and embarrass themselves? Or is that part of growth? Is that part of beta testing? Is that part of trialing a new product out in the market i'm not sure what you think on that one chris um well maybe that's um that's another topic in its in itself i mean certainly you know my two cents is that we should continually be be trying um and testing uh new technologies um and pushing you know the boundaries um in order to 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 break through right for innovation's sake um then you know 
we could we could talk about this on another feature. It's it's how do you how do you do that? We talked on a previous feature about maybe how some of the big tech companies, you know, do that, and maybe they do that through partnerships before, you know, um, deciding to to kind of take it on themselves. And but but certainly my opinion is is that that the the you know no no risk no reward right? Um, you need to you need to try. Um, and it, if I can jump in, Chris, because it's a thought went through my mind then in terms of a previous comment you made, is is all of this a data point too far? And somebody's commented about you know what would be the role of wearables in society, and it makes me think about data protection, mm. how you protect that data. So I think people are willing, perhaps, if they knew where their data was residing, who had access to it. As we talked about it. before, you know, can they monetize their own data, perhaps? But mm -hmm. I know certainly in terms of pushing some of this stuff out, people have concerns about that yep. storage. Where in the world does it live? What mm -hmm. protections around it? Uh, particularly relevant in the financial services space. And in fact, I think it's particularly key in financial services as we move to the cloud. So it's a really good segue. I don't know if you see what I've done there. Chris, to introduce uh, next week, we yeah next yeah. week we've got uh, Dave the Down from Microsoft coming on. He's the uh, managing director of global regulatory compliance for Microsoft in terms of financial services, heavily involved in Azure and the regulatory compliance that they put in place around Azure. So I think next week we're going to have a, a fascinating conversation around um, cloud compliance regulation. So it's, I think it's going to be about dispelling the myths around cloud and, and what's stopping more rapid acceleration. So, Chris, thank you for that conversation that we've had today. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I, I hope your brother-in-law, was it, um, gets a better insurance deal. <laughs> um, and, yeah, for everybody else that's been watching and listening, thanks for joining us and thanks for the comments. And do join us next week for that um, cloud regulatory conversation with Microsoft. But for now, have a good week. Thank you for listening to episode 14 of FinTech Fika, where Chris and I veered off topic at times, but perhaps with a novel idea of transparency and data protection powered by wearables and the Internet of Things. Next time, we're joined by Dave Dadown, Managing Director of Global Regulatory Compliance for Worldwide Financial Services at Microsoft. We'll be talking about cloud, and dispelling some of the myths of regulation. We'll see you live on LinkedIn at 12 noon UK on Wednesdays or shortly afterwards here on audio.